products. I always say we need to give people the tools they love to use. So I believe that you should look for people that are better than you. I also look for people that speak up. I have nobody in my team that isn't willing to tell me I'm wrong. Everything is in the cloud, we use infrastructure as a service. And when I talk with my colleagues, I think we're quite a little bit ahead of that. The time where you made a plan and, and you build out the whole architecture of the house and then you found someone to build it, that's gone. Just build stuff and then once it works and people get interested, you can build it out. Nobody's interested in, hey, let's implement Salesforce. But people are much more interested in, hey, let's implement a system that allows us to track our customers, to communicate properly with them. And if you communicate in that way, then you will find you get a lot more traction with business leaders than you have if you talk about systems. This is Seona TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Martijn Steging who is the Global IT Director of Greenpeace International. Welcome, Martijn. Thank you. Martijn has a degree in Business Information Management from the High School of Den Haag. He has uh, more than 20 years of experience in different organizations such as Ministry of Health, Welfare and Sports, Start People, CGI uh, and G-Star. And for the last 12 years, Martijn, you have been uh, part of the Greenpeace International team where you are responsible for all aspects of the global organization's IT systems, including ships systems. And Martijn leads a virtual team of 45 people in 13 countries, and he provides IT services to more than 4,500 users worldwide. And he provides leadership to about 80 IT staff in 27 national and regional offices. And of course, we all know Greenpeace for nearly 50 years now, Greenpeace, uh, they are the uh, independent global campaigning network that acts to change attitudes and behaviors to protect and conserve the environment and to promote peace in the world. So we are here today in Amsterdam at the Greenpeace International offices, uh, Martijn. And the first thing that I would like you to talk about is how you have built here in this organization, in this organization up to date IT systems and how you've uh, built trust with the uh, regional and national offices. Right. So um, when I started here at Greenpeace, um, there wasn't much. Um, we had some uh, shared systems, uh, mainly a global network connecting the office and an email. We were one of the first organizations to implement an email system. Okay. Um, I think we were second uh, uh, after the CIA. <laughs> um, so that was funny, but we had a, a bit of a um, how would you say that? Um, the downside of being uh, first yep. um, with some of this. The first mover disadvantage. Yes. Yep. And um, there wasn't a lot of other systems. There wasn't a lot of trust. Mm -hmm. um, the, the IT unit had a bad history. I mm -hmm. think for quite a number of subsequent years, there was a new head of IT every every half year. Okay. So obviously that wasn't going well. Yep. Every office was reinventing the systems, mm -hmm. uh, reinventing the wheels, doubling up uh, uh, the effort. Um, and so it was clear that we needed shared systems, but how do you do that when there's no trust? Yep. So um, first is that we've outlined the vision. Mm -hmm. The vision was to all have shared systems, to have good quality, to have them available for everybody, yep. regardless of whether it was a small office or a large office. Mm -hmm. um, the second was to start proving that we would do something they want. Mm -hmm. So at my first global IT meeting, I asked everybody, so what is it that you need? Mm -hmm. And people were allowed to write down anything. Yep. And so we created a big list and then I had them vote. And I promised them, I will fulfill the first three items on that list. Yep. And what were the first three? The uh, first one is um, to have uh, global support mm -hmm. um, in time zones. Okay. Um, the second one is uh, to have reliable systems. Yep. So even to know when systems are not available. Uh, and the third one, honestly, I don't even remember. <laughs> but okay. we delivered. Yep. And we delivered quite quickly. Okay. Um, and it was successful. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I started, all IT was delivered from Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. But after a couple of months, we already had a global support team uh, in Asia Pacific, yep. in EMEA and Americas. Okay. Um, so you had to fix the basics first. Basically. I had to fix the basics first. Yep. Um, so that was one. 
Um, and then we adopted a software as a service approach for delivering. Okay. Because I already quickly realized that we didn't have the resources to implement and maintain everything ourselves. Yep. Um, also because I feel it's more secure mm -hmm. when you have a vendor dedicated looking after security. Yep. And you can imagine, um, you know, for us that's an issue because we have a lot of parties that are interested yep. in our campaign plans. Mm -hmm. um, and so we started delivering that, uh, uh, implementing systems that way, making sure they were reliable um, and that started paying off. Yep. Um, it did take quite a while before the full trust was regained mm -hmm. because they said, well, you can do it right now. Um, but who tells us that you're not gone in six months and we have someone else who then screws it up? Yep. So obviously, you know, it also took time to show them we could consistently deliver what we were promising. Yep. So you have a, a, a team here in Amsterdam and then you have team in Asia Pacific and, and, and one the, in the Americas? Yes. So um, we started with the global support team. Yep. Um, but then um, it's nice if, if that people can get support, but what if something breaks? Yep. So that was the next step to make sure that we also have operations in those time zones. Yep. Um, and then we learned um, while doing that having people on the ground on, in those offices, it also helped us understand their needs, their issues. Yep. And so we actively pursued a strategy where we um, uh, tried to build the team in those three yep. uh, different regions. So Martin, let's, let's talk about the collaboration systems that you have implemented here at, at Greenpeace. Uh, what was the problem and uh, what kind of system have you uh, implemented? So um, the campaigns we do mm -hmm. um, are on issues that you can't solve locally. Okay. So climate change can't be solved uh, just here in the Netherlands. No. Um, whaling, obviously, we can't even do in the Netherlands. Um, and so most of the problems we try to tackle need at least a concerted effort um, for all of us to drive the right campaigns. Um, and then every campaign is a series of projects, so yep. you need a lot of collaboration on them. Um, so what we did is we implemented Google Apps. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we were one of the first in Holland, together yep. with Aholt. Um, we implemented it globally. Mm -hmm. um, it allows you to collaborate on documents all at the same time. Yep. Um, I would almost say it's like magic. <laughs> when you're in a meeting with 10 people and you, you really work in an open way, um, you just open the, up the document in, for writing for everybody and everybody starts writing and it's like you're writing a document at a 10 speed uh, pace. <laughs> and, and that's just, and because people can put all their ideas in, it's just much more creative as well. Yep. Um, the other thing we did is we implemented video conferencing. Okay. So initially we worked with, with Amnesty and a few other nonprofits and the idea was to create a couple of um, regional hubs um, like big, very high quality... Uh, Telepresence, expensive systems. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but those were like a quarter of a million a room. Mm -hmm. And so for relatively a lot of money, we would just have a very small number of rooms. Yep. So we decided that we needed to do it differently. We mm -hmm. needed to make video conferencing available for everybody. Okay. Um, and so we did that. And so currently today we have 160 video conferencing rooms uh, across the world. Wow. Plus, we have it on all our mobile devices. Mm -hmm. You know, when when I regularly I'm regularly part of video conferencing meetings where people are commuting, you know, in the train or well, hopefully not on the bike. Yep. it will cost them a fine, <laughs> but you know, it's very very flexible. Um, and then we recently switched to a different video conferencing provider, mm -hmm. different infrastructure, and and we had uh, um, nearly one and a half thousand meetings a week. Uh, in the first three weeks. And is that Zoom that you implemented? Is that correct? Yes, we did. Okay. Yeah. Are you happy with that? Is that, um, how, how did you do the selection of, uh, and why did you switch? Well, we, we, we had, obviously we have a, a couple of use cases. Mm -hmm. um, and then we look at quality. Um, and so it's, it's mostly about features. If you look at, we used to have life size. We were happy with life size as well. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a good quality system, um, but there were features in Zoom um, that we couldn't get in life size. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in the end, um, even though you know, I'm responsible for IT, it wasn't really my decision. We created a group yep. of stakeholders that were having all those different use cases and they were quite unanimous in the solution they preferred. Yeah, I think Zoom is doing quite well at the moment. Eh? And there's a discussion going on in the CIO Net app for many, many months already where mm -hmm. people share 
what uh, conferencing uh, system they, they use, and many people use uh, Zoom. We use it in in our CRNet organization yeah. as well. Um, yeah, it's it's very it's very easy to get started with it, and it has really powerful features. So one of the uh, important programs today, I understand, at Greenpeace is the Billion Acts of Courage. Yes. Can you talk about that program and how you supported that? Yeah, so, so um, we, we figured out or we are aware mm -hmm. that um, it's, climate change is very urgent now. Yeah. And that we need everybody to be on board mm -hmm. and we need everybody to act. And so we came up with the Billion Acts of Courage, which is basically uh, trying to inspire, empower, enable our supporters mm -hmm. to take initiatives yep. that help resolve climate change. Yep. Because we feel that we can't do it alone and mm -hmm. we can't just do it all with our allies. We need everybody on board. Yep. Um, and so in order to do this, we needed a platform. Okay. Um, and that was, there was a combination. We already had a web content management system, mm -hmm. um, but that was outdated. It was uh, built on technology that wasn't very flexible. It didn't allow for development by local offices. Mm -hmm. um, so it didn't really deliver on our needs. Yep. Plus it was just a content publishing system and we needed a system that we could use to empower our supporters. Yep. So we decided to implement a new system. But not only that, we also decided to do that in a different way. Mm -hmm. So we started an open project using the open decision framework, mm -hmm. um, making all our steps, all our documentation completely public. Mm -hmm. um, so you can find it if you look for search for Planet 4 on the internet, mm -hmm. you can find it. You can find all the notes, all the roadmaps, all the ideas. And everybody who was interested was allowed to join the conversation. Okay. We created an open Skype group. People could join in. Mm -hmm. It wasn't restricted to anyone. Okay. Um, and so um, what we then did, we collected all the ideas, we developed this concept, and we implemented it based on WordPress. Okay. Um, and we did that with lots of advanced technologies. Mm -hmm. uh, we use DevOps. Um, we use... Uh, um, automation a lot mm -hmm. um, because we're delivering about well, to start with uh, 40 plus websites mm -hmm. for the majority of our national regional offices. Yeah. Um, but also the vision is that every campaign site that we then subsequently spin up is going to be on that platform. And so you can imagine that, you know, keeping that up to date, keeping that secure, keeping that well performing is, is quite a task. And so that's why we need all those modern methodologies. Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, about your team, how IT is organized, because uh, I understood that you have 45 people in, in, in that you um, that you direct and that you that you lead, uh, where about 15 are in the Netherlands and the rest are spread out over the world. Is that yes, correct? That's correct. Yeah. And so you talk about Scrum and DevOps and, 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 and so on. So how do you do that? How do you work in a, in a DevOps way? when your team is all over the world? Well, you make it up <laughs> as you go. Uh -huh. um, so um, on one hand, we did train everybody to use DevOps and Scrum, so everybody yeah. knows at least what the theory is. Yeah. And then as soon as you start implementing, you find that some things don't work. Like you said yourself, you can't do a Scrum meeting when people are in different time zones. Yeah. So we, it depends on the team. So for the support team, we use follow the sun. Mm -hmm. So when my shift ends, I connect with the person that starts their shift and then that goes on. And so everybody, because we have three zones, okay. everybody talks to everybody, just not all at the same time. Yep. That's for support, but that's also more suited to you know, handing over issues. Is there yep. anything that needs to be handled while I'm gone? Yep. Um, the other thing we do is we do um, stand-up meetings um, on video conferencing. <laughs> so uh, we're not actually standing up, <laughs> but we do them in the mornings and we do them in the, in the, in the afternoon. Okay. So, you know, being Europeans, we think Europe is central. Of course. Um, but, but that works that at least we get to speak to everybody and we mm -hmm. do those meetings and we can work together. Mm -hmm. um, what we do differently, well, we do all kinds of pieces differently, really. But one of the bigger things we do differently is when you have your meeting at the end where you present the results, we don't do that as a big team because it just doesn't work with people in those different time zones. So we make sure that they do their own bits 
amongst themselves, and then one central person does it with the stakeholders here. Okay, good. Martijn, another thing I would uh, like to discuss with you is that your team is international, mm -hmm. so you have the, uh, the challenge of different locations and different time zones, but you also have the challenge of different cultures. Yes. Uh, and, and, and how do you manage that? How do you make people from Turkey work together with people from Thailand and from the US and so on? It, this, is, this is an issue that is, that is really ingrained in our organization. Mm -hmm. you know, because we're Greenpeace International, you know, we are the coordinating office. Um, our staff is a mixture of people that apply directly and staff that come from our uh, offices. Yep. And so we have a lot of different people uh, from different places. Mm -hmm. um, I think at the bottom line, it's respect. Mm -hmm. It's respect for each other. It's respect for the fact that people have different ways of doing it. Yep. It's also awareness. So it's really important to do cultural awareness trainings because okay. if I don't know, or if you don't know I'm Dutch, and I'm just being Dutch, then maybe in another culture, you may think that I'm offensive or aggressive or, yeah. or blunt or anything like that. But if you know that that's a trait of Dutch culture, yeah. and you know, well, unfortunately, it's not very funny, but that's how I am, yeah. then you might be quicker to accept that. Okay. So I think that's an important factor. And so just talking about these things with each other is, a, is an important thing to do. Okay. Let's talk a bit about your role as, as Global IT Director, CIO here of, of Greenpeace International. How would you, what is the fundamental role? How would you describe your fundamental role in this organization? I'm, I'm creating and driving the vision on IT for the organization. Okay. I think that's really the core of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you unpack that, then more or less everything I do is communications. Okay. And I think that fits my profile. Mm -hmm. I like to talk with people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I can talk with people fairly easily. Yep. I'm not a technocrat in the sense that I love technology, I understand technology, yep. but I can talk about technology in ways that don't, doesn't sound like technology. Okay, and do you see it also as your role not only to lead your people and to, to give them a vision, but also how do you, how do you collaborate, let's say, with the, the business side of, of this? I mean, with the, the people outside of IT and with, with uh, overall leadership and, and so on. How does that work in an organization like this? Well, that's a, that's a complex issue because mm -hmm. normally in a normal, normal <laughs> organization, yeah. you have like eight to 10 different units. So yeah. you have eight to 10 different stakeholders, yeah. sometimes a bit more, but um, I think that's it. But we have 28 national regional offices. Yeah. So I have somewhere between two and 300 stakeholders or maybe sometimes even more because a regional office may cover three countries with different um, stakes in yep. the game in, in such, as such. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a few things that we do is that when we, organize, when we do a project, we always try to create like a stakeholder group that at least is sort, some sort of a representation. Mm -hmm. um, if it's projects that are really connected to one piece of business, like to finance or to campaigning, it's easier because then it's just finding sort of a, you know, a, a, at least a, a representation of, of the offices that are involved yep. in that specific business unit. But if it's cross-functional, it, it gets a lot more difficult. Yep. So does that mean that Greenpeace is very decentrally, decentralized and a lot of the power and, and is, is in the local organizations? Yes, yes. In, in, um, in principle, um, even though I'm the global IT director, I have nothing to say. Okay. So if an office decides that they want to use different systems, they can. Yeah. Um, so if uh, to be a Greenpeace office, you obviously need to, you know, follow, uh, have the, the right uh, objectives. Mm -hmm. You have to do the reporting and a certain structure. Yeah. But there's a lot that is just free. Um, okay. And so I really have to make the effort. I have to win my clients, if you wish, okay. to get them to use our system. Also, your budgets come from the local organizations then? Yeah. How is that organized? That's not a central budget as such? or Well, there, there is. So every office uh, pays contribution. Mm -hmm. And from that contribution, um, we pay other things. But a lot of that contribution flows back to offices. So we want to make sure that you know, offices that are not financially strong can still do campaigning. Yep. But also some of that money is used um, to fund the Greenpeace International yeah. organization, organization, which includes IT systems. Yeah. But we also have a second, let's say, flow is where we actually people we actually charge people for using systems. 
um, and so we move more to that increasingly. So they're really like your clients almost. Huh? Yes. So you have to make sure that you provide them a good service in order for them to be happy and uh, what they pay for the for the central service. Absolutely. If yeah. if 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 we if we um, are slacking on one of the systems, we mm -hmm. immediately see officers leaving. Yeah. So you work here now for 12 years. How would you compare your role and what you do today uh, with 10 years ago? Has that changed a lot? Um, but yes, in, in, in various aspects. Mm -hmm. um, um, when I started, there wasn't a lot of trust. Currently, mm -hmm. there is a lot of trust. Yeah. It makes the way I can work a lot different. Mm -hmm. um, we work a lot together. Uh, I'm the one responsible for setting the vision, mm -hmm. but I'm not claiming I invented all. Yep. You know, so I, I talk a lot with people, I listen a lot to people, mm -hmm. and they help me create that vision. Yep. But I'm the one who ultimately sets it and drive, drives it. But I used to do that much more by myself, and now I do that much more collaboratively. Okay. So that's one. Mm -hmm. Second is, um, although we did, even from the start, we started implementing software as a service, um, we also were hosting our own systems. Mm -hmm. We even hosted our own systems in a computer room in our own building. <laughs> our own data center. Yeah, so we moved that out yeah. um, to a co-location quickly already, mm -hmm. but for now nearly finished um, uh, moving all of that self-hosted things to the cloud as well. Yeah. Um, early next year we will cancel the contract with the, with the co-location, we won't have a co-location anymore. Everything will be 100% cloud. 100% cloud. Okay. Software-defined networking, um, uh, DevOps, infrastructure as a service, all that stuff um, is completely automated. Uh, that's where that's where we're moving, and we're nearly there. Let's talk a little bit more about your team. How easy is it for you to attract top talent? And and because there is a war for IT talent mm -hmm. out there. But this is a special organization with a big brand. So how easy or difficult is it for you to find the right people? Um, I think I should answer that question on, on multiple levels. So mm -hmm. one is clearly we have the name. Mm -hmm. And there's people that are, are really, they really want to work for, for Greenpeace that for ide ideological reasons. Yep. There's a risk in that too, by the way, because they have expectations. And if those expectations aren't met, they may be either frustrated or disappointed. Yep. So that's a fine line you need to understand, you know, what are people's expectations when you hire them. Mm -hmm. um, then the other thing is that I think we're doing interesting things on the technology level. Yep. Like I said, everything is in the cloud. We use infrastructure as a service. When I talk with my colleagues, I think we're quite a little bit ahead of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's interesting for, for, for people to do. Yep. Um, on the other hand, I think it's just as difficult for me to find who are the right people, who are the good people, uh, and which are the people that they look good and they aren't, or stuff yep. like that. So that's just general recruitment. Yep. And we did refine, uh, in the course of time, we did refine our methods. Uh, for example, we're using testing now if we're looking for technical staff. You know, people may have all the right words on their CV, it doesn't yep. mean they can actually work with yep. it. But so reasons for people to come and join your team is that well, they contribute to world peace and, and, and environment. Um, they can work in an international multicultural environment and they work with state-of-the-art uh, systems and, and, and tools. Yes, and then, and then there's, there's flexible working. Yep. So, and a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, freedom and responsibility. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, I can't, if you're, if you're in Korea, I can't see whether you're in the office or not. I could invent something maybe, yep. but I don't want to. So how would you then describe your management style? What is, is, how is it that you make sure that your teams are successful? So it's, it's very output focused. Mm -hmm. So you know, we, never, we don't have like a punch card system or an, 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 a time registration system, even though I want some sort in order to know what effort we spent for which systems, yeah. but I don't care about knowing whether someone's in the office. I actually literally have people working from the beach in Greece. <laughs> And it works. As long as they deliver, I'm fine. Okay. So, so my style is really to make really clear to people what's the direction we're heading, yep. to give them responsibility and the freedom to then sort of fill that in um, in a way that suits them best. Yep. So you give a lot of freedom, but you expect results. Is yes, that, absolutely. That's, that's, the, that's the style. Yeah, because we have, I mean, we have relatively little resources. Yep. 
um, but we have to deliver. Mm -hmm. and, and as far as I'm concerned, the organization has a really important role in society. And how do you grow your people? I mean, how do you make sure, because they're all over, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you can attract them, but how do you make sure that they develop as professionals and, uh, and as people? Well, we, um, we try to let people do different things. Mm -hmm. So either different projects, different roles. Um, when people are like going out for maternity leave, I get other people to fill up that role for a yeah. while so they get different experience. Mm -hmm. We try to let people experiment with different tools and technologies. Yep. And we have a training plan. You know, just simply, you know, at the start of the year, defining, you know, who's doing what training, which is partially uh, defined by us because, hey, we're moving to GCP and now we need to do all the trainings for that. Mm -hmm. And partially, you know, what is it that you would like to de develop towards and then what can we do to support you with that? Okay. So let's talk about your leadership style a little bit as well. So, and, and a good way to ask this is, what do you think your teams, what they tell about you when you're not around? How do they talk about you, you think? They probably say, I hope he stays home. <laughs> okay. No, I, th I think people would say that I'm, uh, I'm open. Mm -hmm. uh, what you see is what you get. Um, I'm sometimes impatient. Um, I, I'm strategic. Mm -hmm. uh, I always look at what's the direction we're heading. Yep. I think these are the things that people would say. Okay. Martijn, let's talk about what drives you in your work and, uh, and, and in your life. When, I, uh, when you go home in the evening uh, and you say, this was really a good, uh, a good day, when are you happy in your professional life? I think I'm most happy when everything didn't go as planned, but still worked out well. Okay. <laughs> so I like to improvise. Um, mm -hmm. I am also a person that I don't like to to sort of you know, create the plan and make it really you know, complete in all the details. I'd mm -hmm. like to set the general direction yep. and then to sail with that direction and then you have flexibility to try and adjust that. Um, so uh, obviously that, that tendency to improvise um, also makes me happy when, it, when it I can. Doesn't fit everybody, I can imagine. No, and, and that's actually an issue when you work with different cultures. Yep. Because, for example, even with our neighbors, the Germans, mm -hmm. you know, they are very, very quality focused. They are very structured. So everything needs to be yep. put down in the plan. Yep. And they don't like to go on like a high level direction. No. Um, so that's, that's a middle ground you need mm -hmm. to find. Okay. So, and what, what is it that makes you happy in your, your life in general when, um, when, when you feel fulfilled in your life? Um, actually, I think that's a different, for me, that's a different thing is in the sense that I just enjoy doing things with friends, with mm -hmm. family. I love doing sports. I love to cook. Um, so I play volleyball. Okay. Um, so that's when I'm, and I love to be with my kids. Mm -hmm. So that's the stuff that really makes me happy when I'm, uh, when I'm at home. Okay. One of the uh, ways that we use in um, the CRNet uh, TV uh, conversations to talk about personality mm -hmm. of, uh, of our digital leaders is to use the uh, MBTI personality profiles. Yes. And you, you have shared with us that your profile is ENFP. So you're more extrovert, you're intuitive, uh, you're a bit more on the, uh, on the emotional uh, side, and you're more perceiving than judging. Mm -hmm. Now, people with uh, ENFP profile, they are called the campaigners and their personality, they're truly uh, free spirits and they're often the life of the party, uh, but they're less interested in sheer excitement and the pleasure of the moment than they are. They enjoy the social and emotional connections to, that they make with others. And you yeah. talk about your family and your friends. So that confirms that. Strengths of people with this profile are that they can be curious, observant, energetic, enthusiastic, very good communicators, talked about that already. Um, and they also know how to relax and they can be very popular and friendly. Mm -hmm. Do you recognize yourself in the positive Absolutely. things? Absolutely, <laughs> but that's not a surprise. <laughs> but the people with this profile, they also have some challenges. And of course, being a, a, a successful digital leader means that you have to overcome some of, the, mm -hmm. of these challenges. Sometimes people with this profile, they can have uh, uh, poor practical skills, they find it difficult to focus, they overthink things, they can sometimes get stressed easily, sometimes a bit too emotional, 
and, and sometimes too independent. So which one resonates with you and how did you overcome uh, one or two of these, uh, let's say, potential weaknesses and how did you develop yourself as, as a leader uh, with, with this personality type? I think in, in general, I mean, without sort of looking at one of them specifically in general, mm -hmm. the, 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 the way to overcome that is to surround you with different types of people. Okay. So I have people in my team that are generally much better in at least one thing and mostly in most of the things than I am. Mm -hmm. So I believe that you should look for people that are better than you. Yeah. And I think that helps you overcome your faults. I also look for people that speak up. Mm -hmm. I have nobody in my team that isn't willing to tell me I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that's needed because I can go quick, I can have ideas, I can be enthusiastic about it. Yep. And sometimes it's necessary for someone either say, oh, Martin, stop. <laughs> slow me down <laughs> yeah. um, or think about the practical implications, yep. things like that. Okay. Because with your, um, if we run over the four dimensions, so you're more extrovert. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure that you also manage people who are more introvert and, and have a different dynamic in, in, in that sense. Yeah. Um, um, as, uh, what we see is that most of the digital leaders that we interview, they are more um, intuitive than sensing. Mm -hmm. So that means that you see the bigger picture. You have the vision, you know where to go, uh, and, and you're less concerned with the details. Mm -hmm. Um, the F and the T, emotional, rational, I think you're balanced there. I, I would, would, uh, that's how I would describe myself I would describe as, well. as well. But then the P is that you, uh, and that's what you said earlier, um, you're more perceiving than judging. And so mm -hmm. that's what, when you said, well, um, I don't, I, I like to keep my options open mm -hmm. and, 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 uh, and, and, and see where we're going. And, and I'm not, not necessarily needs uh, structure and decisions and planning and, and, and so on. Um, and, and so I think that's interesting because that's a, I can imagine if you lead a bigger team, you need to have a plan and people need to know what they need to do next, no? Absolutely. And that's, that's you know, that's, uh, I, in all of those things that you describe, mm -hmm. I, I see the problems I have, yep. right? I'm not without problems. Yep. And so, you know, as, for example, liking, like to keep your options open. Yep. I'd love to keep my options open all the way to the end. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. And it and and it allows me to to switch. Yeah. But I will I would easily switch when other people think there's no switching possible anymore. Yeah. For me, that's not a problem at all. But some and people I need will to be get careful. very nervous. Yes. <laughs> so I need to be careful when yeah. I do it. Or even the 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 think the thought process of switching, even in the last stage. Like, what if we would do the other option? Uh -huh. It will get people nervous. Even if I don't mean to switch, yeah. but just use it as a way to check whether we're still on the right course. Yeah. So I've learned to be, to be careful with that. And again, I have people around me who said, he doesn't really mean we're switching, <laughs> <laughs> right? So okay. the same with, with the extrovertness. Mm -hmm. um, I know I, you know, I like to talk, I talk a lot, um, and it's easy to, not create a space for other people. No. It's been one of my pitfalls. No. Um, and I think it's, it's been very clear here because we have so many cultures. No. We have cultures that for, for people that it's not normal to speak up to the boss or it's not normal to even express your opinion. No. And, and even it gets more difficult because you could ask people for an opinion, but there's cultures where you're not supposed to ask them for their opinion oh, yeah. because they're forced to say their opinion in front of their boss and that's not done. Oh, so yeah. I try to do my best and ask their, their opinion and instead you know, I'm offensive, right? So it's... And how do you solve that? I don't always <laughs> solve that. Um, it's a part of it is being conscious. Uh -huh. uh, a part of it is creating the space for people. Mm -hmm. um, uh, even still asking them for opinions if, if, you know, if, even if you know, well, you know, that's maybe not your culture. No. Because also they need to realize they're working with different cultures as well, right? No. So it needs to come from both ways. And in that respect, talking about those cultural differences, no. especially with the people you work together with, I think no. is an important thing to do. How important is it for you that you work for Greenpeace and, and not for a bank? 
Is, is, is that a driving force that you have an impact on, on, on the environment and, and on world peace? Is that a driving force for you? Uh, yes. I mean, I wouldn't say that I don't want to work anywhere else. Mm -hmm. I have worked in different organizations. For me, at least it's important to have something with the organization. So yep. I don't think I necessarily work for a bank, mm -hmm. um, but I work for a working agency, mm -hmm. start people, and it helps people to get work. Yep. Right? That's a nice thing to do. Yep. I worked for G-Star and they make great clothes. So that's a nice thing to work for. Yep. I, think, I do think working for Greenpeace is a step further mm -hmm. because you're actually doing something for the world and the environment. Yep. And, and especially in where we are now, you know, the idea of doing that uh, also for my kids and other people's kids, yep. uh, I think it's a nice thing to do. Let's talk a bit more about the values of your life. You have, you have three kids. Mm -hmm. I understand they're 15, 13, 12, so yep. they're in uh, middle school. And so what are the values that you uh, pass on to your children? What are the, for you, the most important values in life? Um, to be honest, to, to, you know, to, to be honest to other people, yeah. to be honest to yourself, mm -hmm. um, to, to be compassionate, um, to, to, to stand up for other people if mm -hmm. necessary, um, um, and, and to, well, yeah, to be, I think to, that's to be honest, to, to, to do what you say. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, try to be good people. I think in general, most of this relates to trying to be good people. Okay. And do something for someone else, even if there's nothing in return. Okay. So the relational part is important. Mm -hmm. Be good and be good to other people and, and contribute to other people. Um, be honest and open. That is, that is, that is important for yeah. you. Um, do you, Martijn, do you have a mantra or some guiding principles that you live by? Yeah, this is interesting because I thought about that uh -huh. um, and I, I came up with a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. But I think so then I tested it with, with other people to see like, do you agree this is what you would call my mantra? Yep. And there was one that I had on the list that resonated most with people and this. I always say, we need to give people the tools they love to use. Mm -hmm. And I think that really has to do with the, the position I'm in as well. Uh, but also because I um, realize what the power is that that, that has. If, if you give people something they love to use, you don't have to fight to, con to let them continue to use that. You don't have to fight to let them adopt it because they will be happy to. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really try to live by. Um, and that's sometimes even difficult, even mm -hmm. though it sounds an easy thing. But um, let's say a department, um, and don't let me call any names, but is more interested in that it functionally tick all the ticks all the boxes than what the user interface is. And I believe that the user interface is far more important than ticking all the boxes mm -hmm. because it may tick all the boxes, but if people don't use it, that's useless. Okay. Are there in your life um, people that you really look up to? Mentors, people that you've learned from a lot and, and, and what did you learn from them? Um, actually, I was raised not to really look up to anyone. Mm -hmm. um, I never had like a picture of a, of a pop star uh, on the wall in my room, for mm -hmm. example. And there was obviously, there was music I liked, there were sports clubs I liked, or, yep. but I, it just wasn't in the culture of our family mm -hmm. to really look up to something, to be completely into something. Um, and so that never happened. So actually my parents always taught me that it's important to continue thinking yourself. Okay. And so just don't believe things, don't just assume things because other people say them that they're true. Mm -hmm. And I think this also reflects in the way I do my work. I generally don't think they take things for a given. Yep. And so um, I think if you look at my personality, um, it sits there as well, is that I'm not tied to um, a pre-assumed way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually often proposing uh, ways to do things differently mm -hmm. um, outside of what other people think is is yep. is logical. Yep. Um, for example, um, one of the things that I proposed here is that we do 
budgets and then we do forecasting on how you're doing on your budgets. Mm -hmm. I do that as a budget holder. But why am I doing that? Because why don't we use artificial intelligence to predict what's happening? I bet you that that is far more reliable but, than what I can tell you. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk to finance people, <laughs> they're not really very open to that idea. They think you're crazy. Yes. <laughs> But I do think it's true. I think there's ways we can do these things. And I think that that's true for other things. If you do a recruitment, I'm sure, for example, you can use AI in a similar yep. way. It doesn't mean we need to stop thinking, yep. but I think it's a different way of doing it. Okay. You've been a professional now for 20 years in, in, in IT. So you've, you have had your successes and, and built uh, systems, implemented change and, 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 and so on. But I'm sure there were uh, a couple of interesting failures as, as well that you, that you had. So would you uh, please share with us what was your most brilliant failure that, you, that you've worked on that and, and that, what did you learn from that? Um, well, one of the things we tried, and it's, I find it hard to really think about things as failures mm -hmm. in the sense that you try things and some things work and some things don't, yep. right? And, is that a failure? I don't know. Um, I think it's very popular to, to talk about You perceive it as something that happened and you not, yes. don't necessarily judge it as something that went wrong. It was, exactly. So it I was an to, option that didn't work. I need to <laughs> scratch my head and think, what, is the, what failures did I have? Yeah. But so, for example, um, and, and it's, it's changed now, but um, we have offices with a very, very different size and scope. Mm -hmm. And so we have offices that have an IT team of, let's say, eight or 10 or 12 people. Yep. We also have offices um, in the most extreme form that has no IT person. Okay. Yep. Um, where someone in the, in the office needs to do IT on the side. Yep. Or, or more often we have an office that has just one IT person. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and and you can have, you can be lucky, you can have this IT person that can do everything, right? They have the tech skills to maintain the network and the servers and the applications and provide support and train people, but these are the sheep with eight legs. Yeah. And and so you don't have them everywhere. That's oh. just you know a given. Yeah. And so we set up a team to try and help those offices and to try to lift the quality of their systems. Mm -hmm. um, and and that didn't work out. Okay. Um, it, and I think it didn't work out because of a, a, a range of things, mm -hmm. uh, because I don't think the, 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 the vision was clear enough to the, to the people that needed to do the work. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the people didn't really have the, entirely the right skills. Um, the expectations from the receiving parties were different than what we tried to offer. So there's a range of things. At the end of the day, it didn't work and we stopped doing it. Okay, and your most important learning was that you need to have a clear vision for, for a program or for a project, is that the You most need to important? have a clear vision, it's all the, all the regular, right? I mean, there's nothing groundbreaking there. You need to have a clear vision, you need to make sure that everybody has the right expectations, that you mm -hmm. have the people with the right skills. But all, I think, so maybe the most important learning for me was that you, know, you need to stop with something when it doesn't work. And maybe in hindsight, we even waited a little bit too long with that. That's a difficult one, eh? Stopping a project that's not going anywhere and uh, where you invested and money, time and, and, and emotions in it. And yeah. I think that's in, in general not an easy thing. And, um, no, and I, I think that's actually, that's a, that's a problem that I think all of us struggle with a little bit, mm -hmm. is that um, um, when you do large IT projects, and you know we did our engagement systems project, and we struggled a couple of times there, there as well. Yeah. Um, you know, first we selected the vendor, and even before we signed the contract, the vendor was taken over by another one. Then we tried to implement something else, and that it turned that you know, even though it ticked all the boxes according to the vendor, they couldn't get it to work, and yep. it took too much money to get it to work. So then we tried another one, and what you see in this project is that there's a pressure building up, like a governance pressure. Because it, it's about money, yep. it's about prestige, it's about delivering, it's about organizational needs. Yep. And so senior management boards, they will start looking over your shoulder and, and make it even more difficult um, 
to do the right thing, yeah. but also make it more difficult to cancel. Yeah. And because at some point it starts feeling that if we would cancel now, you know, they're going to want some heads. And I think that's actually wrong because you should make it easy to stop because it's better to stop early okay. and then to try something else than to continue in a desperate attempt to make it work. Martijn, we talked about, um, about Google, mm -hmm. we talked about Zoom. What are the other strategic uh, suppliers and vendors that you work with today? We currently use Salesforce mm -hmm. um, for our engagement system. And engagement is maybe not so well known. It's what used to be known as fundraising and communications. Okay. But we try to build a more meaningful uh, and more involved relationship with our supporters. So that's why we call this engagement and it's combined. So it's not just anymore about, I'll send you a message about what's important and asking you to sign the petition and money. Mm -hmm. I try to get you involved to do more. Yep. So we use Salesforce for that. Okay. Um, we use Box. Um, we actually started using Box uh, to get all the offices on Google. So that's an interesting move. But because uh, Box is like an alternative to Google Drive, no? Well, because, yeah, well, because when we started using Box, Google Drive didn't really have document management capabilities. Okay. You could store documents, but that's something different than document management. Mm -hmm. So we had some offices that actually did document management. And in order to get them off, they used notes, um, which they also used for email and calendaring and other collaboration. Mm -hmm. In order to get them off, we needed to offer them next to the Google Apps, email and calendar, a decent document management system. Okay. So that's why we implemented it. Mm -hmm. um, we're now actually on our way to reduce the usage of that because you see that Google Drive has evolved quite a bit. Yep. They introduced Team Drive, for example, and there's a lot that we currently do with Box. We can also do just with Google. Mm -hmm. But the idea behind that was to get rid of all our file servers. Yep. So you can imagine with offices in 55 countries, yep. um, there's so many file servers. So moving that all to the cloud is reducing the need for for backups, having certainty about uh, uh, backups, document security, all that stuff. So it just takes a lot of effort away. Okay. These videos that we that we produce and, and publish every week now are watched by um, very different profiles of people, uh, but also uh, um, people that have the ambition. Uh, to become digital leaders in, uh, in international organizations watch these uh, videos. So I would like you to, um, to tell us what is your advice that you would give to future uh, ambitious future digital leaders that want to have uh, an impact in, in a global organization like Greenpeace like you have today here? I would definitely say don't talk about systems. Mm -hmm. You know, try to Try to think, so you need to understand systems. So make sure your education is, you understand digital systems. Yep. And then once you understand all of that, don't talk about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Then talk about what, what, is, what is it that the organization needs? What are the things we want to do? Mm -hmm. And then you're the one that helps translating that into how do we configure and set up systems. Yep. But you know, nobody's interested in, hey, let's implement Salesforce. Um, maybe people are sometimes, because yep. they now understand that that's a CRM, yep. but people are much more interested in, hey, let's implement a system that allows us to track our customers, to communicate properly met with them. Yep. And if you, if you communicate in that way, then you will find you get a lot more traction with business leaders yep. than you have if you talk about systems. Yep. So don't talk about systems, talk about solutions and what it brings to the business. Other advice that you would give to future ambitious digital leaders? Yes, experiment. Um, um, and experiment quickly. So, so do small proof of concept projects where you can figure out whether something works or not. Or not. Um, you know, I think in general, you know, it's fairly obvious, as far as I'm concerned at least, mm -hmm. to use Agile and Scrum and DevOps and all that stuff. Yep. What, you, what you see is the time where you made a plan and, and you build out the whole architecture of the house and then you found someone to build it that's gone. Mm -hmm. you, you just start building little pieces. Yep. The way to build things is, going, is increasingly easy as well. So just go with, just build stuff. And then once it works and people get interested, you can build it out. Okay. Martijn, is there anything else you want to add to this conversation that we certainly need to cover? 
Yes, I, I think I think it's it's when you work, it's your attitude, it's your balance. Mm -hmm. um, I like to think of myself as a professional. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to deliver you know the right quality of systems to the organization. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean um, I work 80 hours a week. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that I'm always serious. So I think you need to find the balance. You need to have time to relax. Mm -hmm. You need to try to take things lightly. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't mean you don't have to take them seriously, but you know, keep it lightly. Don't get too involved that you get just obsessed with your work and worried about your work. Mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. And the way, the important thing is not that mistakes don't happen. The important thing is how you deal with them when they happen. Um, and to make sure, if you make sure you have work-life ba balance, you also have the space and the bandwidth to think about things, mm -hmm. take some distance, yep. maybe find different ways of doing things. So I think that's a really important piece of attitude that, that not just digital leaders, but I think everybody should have in their work. Um, but I realize in IT that's a really important thing to do. And how, what, is, what are for you the best ways to decompress when you get home? And, and, and you want to get things out of your systems, how do you relax? Um, sports is mm -hmm. important for me. Mm -hmm. um, when you go out and you play sports, whether that is, is running or yoga or volleyball, I do all of those so I okay. can compare them. Um, as, as soon as you're really going into that, then most of the, the, the pressure from the day is going away. Yep. Uh, the other one is to be with people that are interesting. That mm -hmm. Don't talk about your work. Yep. Talk about other things that, that keep you busy. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to talk about work at all, yep. but just don't talk about work all the time or mm -hmm. talk about something different the majority of the time. Yep. So surround yourself with interesting people and, and get your body moving. Yes, Okay. absolutely. Good. With that, Martijn, I would like to thank you for your time and your hospitality in the uh, international headquarters of Greenpeace here in Amsterdam. It was a, a very interesting conversation, so uh, thank you for this. Thank you very much, too. Thank you, Martin.